Hello and welcome to the Cowboy Jesus Podcast. This is Steve Poos Benson and I got to tell you something. Uh, Rob Bell, the great Rob Bell who does a weekly podcast, one time I was listening to him and he was pulling his hair out because he had every single tech problem going to try to get his podcast and I, and I was thinking of him because I'm sitting here with Jim East, my guest today, and we have spent the last almost 30 minutes trying to work out the bugs. So thank you, Tag Worley, who's sitting right at my shoulder. He's now going to leave us. Bye. <laughs> so I can interview my friend, Jim East. Jim, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for the invitation. It's great to be here. Yeah, you know. The, the best thing about Jim East is after I interviewed Sarah Rex, and many of you heard the interview with Sarah uh, a couple episodes ago, after that, Sarah said, you've got to interview Jim East. And so that's kind of my opening question, Jim. Why would Sarah Rex say, you got to interview Jim East? You know, Sarah and I go way back. Um, How far back? Well, we were students together at Oral Roberts University oh, okay. uh, in the 1980s. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that sounds right. <laughs> how, how old are you? How old are you? I'm a little old even for that. I'm older than Sarah. So I was, I was, uh, I had gotten out of school. So I'm 61 now. Okay. So I'm uh, 63. Okay. So I had, I had gotten out of, I had dropped out of college and then went back to ORU. Uh-huh. Um, and so finished my degree a few degree, a few years later than, than my peers. What um, was your, what was your degree in? I studied uh, marketing business. Oh, yeah. Cool. Um, before we dive in, I mean, tell us a little bit about who Jim East is when you're not on a podcast. What do you do for fun what and I that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I uh, I love Colorado. I'm from the East Coast, but I, I'm so glad I found Colorado. Um, love to walk and hike and be outdoors, but also love arts and culture, opera, uh-huh. theater, music, um, museums, travel. Oh, my gosh. I've got a travel bug that's really... Oh, do you? Nice. Like, where, where's, what was the last thing you traveled to? I was in... Barcelona, Valencia, and Granada, Spain in the fall. Oh, wow. Um, and I just booked a trip to Italy for the wow. spring, summer, early summer. Yeah, I was in Fair Play. <laughs> hey, <laughs> salute to all of our friends in Fair Play. <laughs> okay, so let, you know the reason why I wanted to interview Jim is because uh, Sarah has an interesting faith journey, and she kind of unpacked her faith journey, and she said that you had a similar faith journey. And Jim and I exchanged texts the other day, and Jim said, you know, um, I could talk about my upbringing in Catholicism, my going to charismatic evangelicalism, to kind of Episcopalian, to kind of where you are today. And I thought that that would be an interesting guide to the journey. So because I, I think people want to hear about your faith story and where you've been and where you're going, kind of where you are now. So let's start with Catholicism, and were you born and raised Catholic and all that kind of good stuff? Talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I grew up, uh, as I say, in Delaware. I uh, born in, early raised in Dover, Delaware. Uh, Dad was an uh, Air Force uh, mechanic um, and met Mom there where she had, she had grown up and spent most of her life. And um, um, so they got married and had me as their first kid. And good Catholics that they were, that's how I was raised at Holy Cross Parish there in Dover, Delaware. So like first... So baptized, first, first communion, you know, confirmed, all those kinds of things. Absolutely, all of it. 
Wow. Um, yeah. So did um, you go to Catholic school? No, I went to CCD classes. So that's oh, their okay. catechism classes yeah, on right. Saturdays for, right. for, for folks who don't go to their schools. Um, but I did that, you know, all throughout my, my growing up until I was about 14 or so. Wow. Um, so then from, so did Catholicism shaped your early image of who and what God was? Yeah. Well, like what was your childhood view of who and what God was and who and what Jesus was? You know, it was a lot of rules. It was, um, um, it was, it was doing the right things, you know, um, First communion, you wear a white tie. You know, you you know, it's it's you do these things. It's it's about all the steps that you do to get there. Uh-huh. Um, um, you know, I, you know, you get to, you know, in, the, in those early years, you don't have a huge sense of sin and judgment and that kind of thing. Um, but um, it was, you know, this is what we do. It's we do these things. Um, and you try to be a good boy. Right. So then from Catholicism, being the good boy, you tell me about going to charismatic evangelicalism. I mean, that is like a a sea change. It's a leap. It's a something. How did you go from that to there? Well, so um, what happened is you know, there were a lot of big personal life changes in the family. So when I was eight, almost nine years old, um, I came home from school one day to learn that my dad had just died. Oh. Um, he had... Oh, uh, my. So th- suddenly mom was left with an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 18-month-old. So you were 8? I was 8, not when quite When your dad nine, died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and... Um, wow. Yeah, it was unexpected, and he was young. He was 30. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. He was 30? He was 30. He had a... Uh, they. Uh, Diagnosed it later as saying it was probably like a aneurysm in his brainstem. Oh my gosh! Um, and so um, eight years old. Yeah. Um, so there was mom raising three boys by herself, and so at that point we had had a short stint living in Pennsylvania, but we moved back to Dover or to the Dover area, um, actually Camden, um, and uh, where her folks were, and so we'd be close to support and family, and um, continued going to mass every Sunday and doing the good things that, you know, mom had been raised in and I was being raised in and my brothers were being raised in. And at some point, I was about 14, mom met a group of folks who had a Catholic charismatic prayer group. And she went to that and had a tremendous experience and, you know, baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. And it was really at a prayer meeting. Yeah. So she has this Catholic upbringing. She's this good Catholic. She moves to be with your parents, mm-hmm. be with her parents. Right. On and off thing, she decides to go to a prayer. She's invited to go to a prayer meeting. You know, Mom, bless her, has always been um, a very faithful person. Uh-huh. You know, her faith is very, very real. Um, and this was just taking it for her to a new level of, of intimacy, of power, of light and love. Um, it was a very real and very meaningful experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so... Um, I remember I, I had been sick with you're, a cold or something. About you're eight. Well, no, I'm, I'm, now we're jumping ahead to about 14. Oh, 14. So okay. this, this is a, a number of years later. Okay, okay. So mom had been raising us. You know, I'd been helping take care of little brothers and, right, you know, right. doing all the man of the house kinds of things, right. mowing the lawn, trimming hedges, doing dishes, folding laundry, keeping right. the household running because she was trying to work, raise three boys. And so, you know, it was all hands on deck. 
Um, and so that was our life. And But she'd gone to this meeting, had this experience. I was about 14, so I was, you know, freshman in high school. Right. And um, um, I had had a cold or something. I'd been, you know, home from school for a day or two. And when that, all this started happening, and then they kept, mom started to take my brothers to this, and I, I thought they were nuts. I mean, I just thought, this sounds weird. And I didn't want to go. And so I, well, I'm still not feeling, <coughs> still not feeling 100%. <laughs> um, and so I got out of it for a week or two, but then the next week I was like, I can't keep doing this. I've got to go. And so... Um, so she's going repeatedly. Oh, I mean, like this is every like Wednesday night or whatever night of the oh week it gosh. was. I don't remember okay. what night of the week it was, but yeah. And so I'm um, still going to mass on Sunday morning. Huh? Um, so still good Catholic and and um, very very much you know a part of the whole you know Catholic Church. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so um, I, I went to this thing this one. I think it was a Friday night. And they had, we went to the friend's house that they was at, and the, the kids that they wanted to meet to meet, who were my age, weren't there. They were down the street at a, a Nazarene church, as I remember it, and watching a movie. And I thought, okay, you know, whatever. I, I don't know these people, but I'll go and, you know, whatever. And so I get there, and um, just as things are starting, and I see a couple people I do know from school, and... Um, and so we watched this movie, and it's hellfire and brimstone. It is like, accept Jesus into your heart, or oh you will gosh. burn in hell, and worms will crawl out of your eyeballs. And I mean, it was like graphic, visual, trauma-inducing kind of stuff. Oh my gosh! Um, but at the end of it, um, they had an uh, an altar call in in the film, and talking about this is how this works, and how you can escape hell is by coming forward in a church service and inviting Jesus into your heart and being born again. Well, the only time, being good Catholic, we don't have altar calls. And so I'd never seen this actually in person, but I had seen it on TV. Every now and then flipping channels, you see a Billy Graham crusade. Oh, right. Oh, right. And right, they're singing right. Just As I Am. And, right. and so um, um, I thought, you know what? I've got just enough curiosity that if they do that at the end of this film and they do a real altar call, I'm going to go forward. I want oh, to know, wow. what do they say to those people? Wow. I'm just like what? And you're 14? And you're 14? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And so so I, I they, it does happen. Of course, they come forward, and I walk forward, and I'm kneeling there at the altar, and they're leading me through, you know, uh, you have to accept Jesus into your heart and say this prayer, and it's like, you know, Forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. I thank you, my Lord and Savior. All these key points that that require to be born again, and and while they're going through this, I'm also thinking, I just met these people. They're waiting for me. I've got to leave. How long is this going to take? And so my mind is just racing. And so yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's just okay. Yeah, Jesus, come into my heart. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, forgive me of my sin. Uh, you're my Lord and Savior. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, all good. Uh, oh, now, Jim, you're born again. And they stand up and give me hugs. And my friends come over. Jim, it's your birthday. This is so exciting. And they took me out for pizza. This is great. I'm loving this. I'm getting attention. I'm having pizza. I'm making new friends. Life is good. So that's how I got into this. And that's where it really began. Um, and and I don't want to minimize um, um, over a period of time of starting to attend these new youth group meetings and these new things that were going on in this group, um, there was 
I, there was a very real experience that happened for yeah. me. And I, I, I got to be honest about that and say, you know, I really drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, I all in. Jesus, Lord and Savior, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. So you were speaking in tongues in high school? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Wow. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, wow. Just, just embraced all of it. Um, and just, just, and it was meaningful for me. I mean, I really, right. um, I fell in love with Jesus. And uh-huh. to this day, I would tell you I love Jesus. Uh-huh. Um, it's been a long journey, and it's circuitous, but... Right. But that is the one thing um, that I, I want to say is that that somewhere early on in that whole process, I learned God loves me and I love him. And no one can ever take that away from me. Right. You know, one of the things that about uh, people who go to uh, evangelicalism, charismatic or otherwise, there are some really good things yes. that come out of it. Yes. People develop... The sense of a relationship with God, a sense of relationship with Christ, it's personal, it's intimate, mm-hmm. and it's something that while they might push back against it later on in life, they look back at that and say, there was something special there. There was a sense of community. People loved me. People cared about me. People, uh, we worshiped together. It was a positive thing that it, it's not this terrible, like, I, I don't like evangelicalism now, as a as a sixty three year old pastor, but looking when I talk with people on this podcast, they all talk about the fact that there were some really strong benefits to early high school adolescent evangelicalism. Would you have the same thing? A- absolutely, absolutely. And I and I would say this, um, Pastor Steve. 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 Okay. Thank Not you. Not Pastor Steve. Okay. I will Steve. say this then, Steve. Um, uh, thank you for that. Um, my my wish, my prayer, my dream is that everyone would know, everyone would know how special they are to God uh-huh. and how much God loves uh-huh. you, you uh-huh. know. I remember saying to someone one time, um, I got really offended. I got kind of smug and I said, you know, I have a secret. Uh, I said, <laughs> I'm God's favorite. Um, and they got all offended. I said, no way, you're missing, you're missing the point. You're also God's favorite. Uh-huh. And I think if each of us get that sense of God loves me, just like you would want a child to th- secretly think that they're your favorite of your three kids or whatever, right, right. you know, you want that child to feel so loved and so appreciated and for who they are. Um, that's what God wants for each of us. God wants you to know how much he loves you. Um, or she loves you, and we can get into all that. Because <laughs> um, it was a he loves you in Eve early in high absolutely. school. Absolutely. Yeah, that was the only paradigm. But right. um, And so that language still comes out in me, but uh, I, I certainly embrace, you know, wherever your faith is at this point. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. So how did that – so you're in a youth group. You're speaking in tongues. You're having – Slain in the spirit, all different kinds of. What is slain in the spirit? I'm just using terms that I, I gotta assume people don't know. What does that mean to be slain in the spirit? Yeah, we can talk about speaking in tongues too, for that matter, because not everyone may know what that is. But slain in the spirit is when uh, you go forward for prayer in a service, generally in a service, um, and uh, the the minister puts hands on your forehead or on your shoulder or somewhere on you, lays hands on you. That's the way they say that. Um, and the power of the Holy Spirit becomes so strong that you literally pass out. You just fall over, and they catch you. They lay you down. 
for women who are in skirts, there's, they have little towels or things to lay over so that it's <laughs> modest and and it's it's it's, it's it's a thing, and so um, and it's a sacred thing. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, you know, right, I mean, right. I, you know, we laugh, but but it's meaningful. Yeah. And what is the point of it? I don't. I could not tell you right offhand where slain in the spirit comes from in scripture, but it is a thing in charismatic circles. So, um, did I mean, did you feel that when you slain in the spirit? Did you pass out the electricity and the whole nine yards? You or? know, it's it's interesting, and I and I will be vulnerable enough to say this. I think there is so much peer pressure in that mm-hmm. world uh-huh. to speak in tongues, to have the experience, mm-hmm. to have this feeling. Uh-huh. Um, that I think I know. I can honestly say I tr- I tried to help God. I tried to help manufacture <laughs> it. Um, I tried to just give into it. Uh-huh. So I don't can't say I was ever knocked out unconscious, but I can remember feeling, oh, I'm a little lightheaded. Just just go with this, you know, and just just let it happen. Um, um, so what's God? What's not God? Right. I, I have big questions about that in in that whole right. world because I think there is so much expectation that if you're a good Christian, if you're really spiritual, if you're favored by God, this thing's going to happen to you. Right. Um, and that, uh, that, you know, that's, that gets silly. Um, and that's where a lot of it starts breaking down. You know, for my upbringing, so I was raised pretty straight up Presbyterian, been a Presbyterian almost my whole life, but in high school and then in college, had deviated into conservative evangelical, went to a small little Christian college. And there was this, if you were, if you had a, had a born again experience, that was one thing. But then the true sign that you were really a Christian is if, that if you were speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's this kind of this deviation, or not deviation, I don't know what the right word would be, but okay, you're accepted Jesus, good. You're saved. Yes. But you're really not saved unless you're speaking. But there's more. But there's more. And so you've got to constantly wait and wonder when I'm going to speak in tongues. What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And then if you don't speak in tongues, am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? And it's, it's confusing for a young person. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's pressure. It's, it's it's a different kind of peer pressure. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, it's it's you would think it's healthy peer pressure um, to to be more spiritual, to be in touch with God. But when you're when you gets into this performative thing that I have to learn to speak in tongues. Well, you don't learn to speak in tongues. That's something biblically the Holy Spirit does. Um, but I was taught well, just just wiggle your mouth and tongue and, and just just a little let it let, let it happen you know and and the next thing I shouldn't be laughing well i mean but, but it, it is ludicrous yeah. you know on one hand they're saying this is a divine thing where the holy spirit comes upon you and it's god yeah. you know yeah. infusing you working through yeah. you and on the other hand they're saying here here's how to do it here's how to help god and that's like right. like god needs my help Right. Who do I think I am? Right. You know, that's that's crazy. Now, did you end up speaking in tongues? Uh, well, I, did I? Did I? <laughs> <laughs> I I said a lot of words, and I still I could do it today. Huh. And it is that God, or is that me? Is that me learning this? I I would not. I don't. I don't even know. I I have enough belief in the mystery and the power of God not to negate. 
the things that God can do in and through right. us despite us. Right. Um, and I also know that I am a very flawed human being who has <laughs> had the audacity to think I could actually help God. Right, um, right. So how did this shape your adolescent understanding of who and what God was? Well, what I, what I learned, and this goes back to the good stuff, you know, that God is this loving, powerful, mighty, awesome creator of heaven and earth, um, you know, of all that is seen and unseen, and he loves me, and he loves you. Um, what, a, what a wonderful thing to feel like I am connected to creation, to the creator, to all that is. Wow. Um, so that's huge. It is huge. That's huge for a kid. Yeah. It was powerful. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, I, I hope you have that. I hope every person gets that the creator of heaven and earth made you because he has a plan and loves you and thinks you are awesome, dynamite, spectacular, incredible. Um, so that's what your high school view and vision of God was. Yeah. That's pretty heavy. I mean, it that's, is. that's kind of fantastic. I think that's the the blessing part of what evangelicalism totally. can do for people is totally. that it creates that sense of intimacy, that kind of personal relationship with God. That you know, we can talk about God as being, and I talk about this in, in Columbine that we can talk about God as being this cosmic creator, flinging galaxies, and yet this cosmic creator cares about you know. You? Yeah. And so that's cool. How did it put you in a relationship to other kids in at high school? You know, I was probably always a geek, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, uh, um, um, yeah, um, I was, I, in high school I started getting involved in like Glee Club and the drama thespians and stage crew and acting and stuff musicals and all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of my tribe. Uh Um, So I had that group. Um, And they, you know, it's interesting. I'll say this about my high school. Um, There are people of all sorts of backgrounds. And to this day, um, we had our reunion a couple years ago. Um, They embraced everyone for who they are. I, I, for being in a fairly rural conservative area of lower Delaware, which is more agricultural and and not as uh, urban as as you think of most of the East Coast, they are pretty inclusive. And and even though I never felt like I was part of the in-group, I was part of the group I was part of. And and today, all those folks, they're just all one big class of 1979. Wow. You know? And so, yeah. 79. Class is 77. Man, we get a lot of common. That's good for you. Okay, cool. So then uh, from high school, you have this great experience with God. Where do you go? You you said you go to Oral Roberts University. Well, eventually I went to ORU. I I started at at Salisbury State University, Salisbury State College at the time, um, in Salisbury, Maryland, um, and started working at a little radio station, um, Uh uh, Christian radio station there um, on the eastern shore of Maryland right out of high school. Um, So um, did that for a couple of years, dropped out of school because (laughs) you'll love this. I, I believe this. You know, at that point, Jesus was coming back any day. Oh, wow. It was like eminent. 
Wow. And I was just like, I don't have time to be going for a degree. I've got to get about Jesus' business. I've got to. So I was working at a Christian radio station, and I was about sharing the good news and, and doing God's work. Um, and so I did a year or so of school, but then just dropped out to work full time at the station, and wow. I did a variety of jobs there. But uh, um, that's that's how I how I yeah. You know, my favorite story about the Second Coming is I used to be a head resident at a dorm at Whitworth College, this mm-hmm. little Christian college. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the semester, the like, night before finals, at about midnight, I was studying. There's a knock on the door, and one of my uh, People in the dorm came to me and they said, he said, do you think Jesus is coming tonight? <laughs> I said, no, I don't think so. And they said, well, I haven't studied all semester because I was oh, convinced Jesus is going to come before the semester is over. I said, well, you have about six hours yeah. to go to your yeah. work. On the, I mean, it was this huge sense that Jesus was going to come right now. And there were all the films left behind and all of this fear-mongering about it and be ready at any moment. Um, um, Yeah, it it was very real. Um, especially there in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah, like, that was that late was great really... planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Left Behind series. When did that come out? In that, the eighties. That, that started coming out more in the eighties, and uh-huh. then yeah, and it continued on into the nineties. Oh yeah, and, yeah. God, what a crazy series um, of books that Tim was. Tim LaHaye and Tim yeah. LaHaye. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what brought you to Oral Roberts? So you know, growing up. Um, in Delaware, um, you know, we'd do a lot of stuff with my family and my grandparents and my mom's family, and um, you know, it'd be Sunday afternoons at, at her house, at my grandparents' house. Um, there were there were during the holidays, Easter, Christmas, whatever. Oral Roberts had these specials on TV that oh, always got right. broadcast. Yeah, um, I never, I remember seeing those. Completely forgot about it. Yeah, right, they and did. they were. They were cool. You know, they had these beautiful singers, and they had this amazing campus with these gleaming gold buildings right. and these helicopter shots swooping over the campus. And 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 it was just like, wow, this place looks so—and they were so full of joy and life. And that's where I want to go. And I had that planted in my head from an early age. Um, even, I would say, before I got into the whole charismatic thing— uh, but then certainly it was like this is this yeah this is this is God's plan for me I'm I'm supposed to huh. go to ORU, huh. um, but you know when I when I graduated from high school um, you know single mom no money oh right um, I forgot about that you right, know all right, these right. details that you have to navigate um, um, I just I I ended up not thinking that was even a possibility by that uh-huh. point um, so I, I worked for a few years at the at the station. Um, I had a friend move out to Oklahoma where ORU was located, and on a whim, I moved out there to, to just do something different and found a job at a, at a, at a radio station there and did that uh, as news director for that station for, for a couple of years. But while I did that, I was like, I've, I've got to get back to getting my degree. Uh-huh. Um, and so um, I applied at ORU and was able to get some scholarships and 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 assistance and financial aid and and so I was about 24 or so when I transferred back into school and 
started back at ORU and moved into the dorms and 20, maybe 23, I forget. So what was ORU like? You know, it was everything I wanted it to be. Um, I, you know, it was, um, you know, academically it was rewarding, but, you know, it was about missions and, and twice a week chapel services and, um, and um, outreach and, you know, um, taking... One of, one of the things I also love about uh, about the the message of ORU and Or Roberts was the uh, idea that you know we're all called, um, we all have God's gift and God's grace in us to to shine our lights to the world around us and and let His love shine through us, um, and so I love that. So it wasn't like a, a ministerial prep school. I've had over the years I've had so many people tell me, "Oh, you're called to the ministry," and I've never felt that. Right. Never felt that. And so, um, um, yeah, I, I just being able to to embrace that ethos of of being able to grow as a believer and realize that I can make a difference in whatever vocation I'm called to. And I've been involved in media and radio for a long time, so that's how I when I saw that channel to. So that was where you felt your calling right. was into radio and media. And yeah, that kind of very thing. much so. Very uh-huh. much so. So then. You graduate from ORU. Mm-hmm. Uh, your faith is still strong. Still mature. very strong. You know, I, I should go back. There's there's another underlying wrestling that's going on throughout all this time. Uh-huh. So I mentioned you know getting born again when I was 14, um, and so this becomes more and more relevant as years go by. At first, it was just like this nagging thing that didn't line up. Um, but I knew at 14, with hormones raging and adolescence. Uh-huh developing, that I was not noticing the girls that everyone else was noticing. And I was noticing some of the jocks and the guys mm. and the men mm-hmm. around campus, around mm-hmm. high school. And and um, I wrestled with that. I was like, you know, I know this is not right because that's how I was raised. Right. Um, and so I remember, I remember praying when I was early in my faith journey, after being born again and spirit-filled, I remember praying a prayer. God, make me to be the man you've called me to be. Oh. And I, I believe that to mean that I was going to have a wife and 2.3 kids and a right. picket fence and, you right. know, all of it. Um, but it was a prayer I prayed all my life. In fact, it's a prayer I still pray. Uh-huh. Um, I, I want to be who I am called to be. Right. Um, and um, so I prayed that prayer all my life, but also, you know, thinking that that meant for many years, try and be straight. And so I tried to deny myself. I was so afraid of sex and anything dealing with sex. I, you know, was pure as the driven snow. Um, um, all through high school, first year of college, throughout most of my time at ORU, I had graduated from ORU and uh, wrestling with this. And, of course— So, so the whole— being gay was part of your adolescent upbringing. It was kind well, of, it not was, an upbringing, but it was there. It was there, yeah. It's like I had these feelings. Right, yeah, but feelings. I, was, I was trying to, to stifle, trying to keep down, Damp trying down, to change. Down. Right. Um, praying the, what do they call Praying the gay away? Praying the gay away, all that yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah silliness. Right, right. Um, um, and so I, I um, graduated, still, you know, Good Christian boy, intact, no sin in my life. I'm just, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Um, and um, and but 
I didn't really have a job to go to, and I didn't really know where I was going to go next. And and so they asked me to be a dorm director. I'd been an RA and a head RA. Okay, so, so same sim- thing. Similar same kind thing. of journey. Wow. And so I started working as a dorm director. Um, and I remember one day I was in the dean of men's office, and this young, handsome cheerleader looked at me and had this look that was like, hmm. And suddenly I knew the game was on. I'd never done this. Never didn't know what to do. Was nervous as all heck. But he and I started hanging out a little bit. And one night studying in my apartment, things got frisky. And I had never kissed a guy before. Oh, my. And yeah. we kissed and we groped. And he spent the night. There were, I wouldn't say we even had sex, but it was it was far more intimate than I felt comfortable with. And you, um, what year are you at school? So I'm, I had graduated. So oh, you now graduated? I, yeah. So now I'm a staff member. Oh, a staff member. This is scandalous. Oh, <laughs> this is. I mean, I, you know, homosexuality is not allowed at all at ORU. Um, you know, you get thrown out of school for for being gay. Oh, are you really? Oh, totally. Oh, oh yeah. So just understand the culture there is is. Oh, to be gay, you were thrown out. Of yeah. School. Oh my you know, gosh. If, if a guy got a girl pregnant, they might have to leave for a semester to deal with all that, right. but they were always welcome back. But if you if you found to be gay, you were ushered out, taken, wow. sent home immediately. Wow. Um, um, and that's, that's as, as I understand it, I think that's still true. Um, yeah, at Whitworth, you couldn't be in any leadership position. I had a had an RA that was gay, and he was taken, when he, as soon as he came out, he was taken away from yeah, the, yeah, the position. So, yeah. so, okay, go ahead. So, so I, you know, had this, like, crisis of I've just sinned in a way that, you know, oh, I've had wow. this affair, what do we call it, you know, little kissing kind of groping thing happen. And so I, I went to the dean of men, and I resigned my job the next day. Oh, my gosh. Um, I just I was, I was like, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Oh, my gosh. And so I found a friend that had an extra bedroom, and I moved in with him, and I found a job at the mall and doing retail and um, just tried to figure out the life going forward, but trying, still trying to resist this whole temptation and be, try to be straight. Um, wow. And so I kept, I kept up that struggle um, um, for years. And so after, after ORU, I worked retail, and I tried selling life insurance, hated that, realized no radio was what I do best. And so ended up, um, um, I'm shortening the story greatly, but ended up uh, working for a brief time, moved to Virginia Beach and working for Pat Robertson. So here I'd worked for Oral Roberts, now I'm working for Pat Robertson. I was just going to say, Pat Robertson, you went from the frying pan into the fire. You know, it's it's my world. It's all I know. Yeah, right, Um, right. And um, so at at that, yeah, so I, I, I... Worked there, and they, but they also had a, a graduate school. And I thought, well, I'll start on my MBA, um, and so I started on that and started there. And um, again, shortening the story, they shut down that division that I was working in, and so suddenly I was unemployed again. Huh. And um, I had gone home to visit my mom in Delaware, and I got a call from the chair of the board of that station that I'd worked at right out of high school. Right. Right. And he said, you know, I know you're down at, at Virginia Beach and CBN, and um, our manager now at this radio station is announced he's retiring. Do you know anybody that would be a good applicant? And I thought, I'll be audacious. I said, I don't know, you know, if you would want to talk to me, but I'd, I'd be interested. Uh-huh. I said, I don't know if you know, I'm like suddenly unemployed again. Um, and 
they were very interested, and one thing led to another, and within a month or so, I was the new station manager, oh, general well, manager of the cool. station that I'd started at right out of high school. That's fantastic. And How so, cool is that kind of a full circle? It was totally a wonderful full circle. And, you know, people I knew and loved and um, had been good to me, and, um, and, it was, and it was a great move. And so I managed that station for eight years. Um, um, all still struggling about trying to. Are not you still come out. like charismatic? Are you are you going to church? Yeah, so I still had uh, continued to go to charismatic churches. Um, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, all of those things. The, the, yeah, whole, the whole that, that whole world. Everything I would identify as charismatic. Right. You're still involved in that. One of the things that started changing about this time, though, after I got to the, to managing the station, one of the things I saw about the value of what Christian radio can be. Is bringing all these different churches together and people together right. to love God and to make a difference in our right. world, and and so I started making it a point to visit a lot of different churches. And so I would go to the Black churches, to the PCA churches, to the to the Baptist churches, to the Fundamentalist churches, to the Methodist churches. You know, right. and I would just try to visit a lot of different places, um, and um, and so I became less focused on that charismatic world and much more embracing of everybody and really trying to focus on, hey, we, this is what we have in common. We love God. We love Jesus. We're, oh, that's cool. We're saved. So, so your whole vision of God and the church and everything really starts broadening. Yes. It opens the doors. You're beginning to see God in a much bigger way. You exactly. still have those charismatic roots to you, but you're, it's broadening out. And at the same time, you're still wrestling with the whole issue of being gay. Is this okay? Can I be a Christian? Can I be gay? So keep on talking about kind of how this starts unfolding. So, so it starts unfolding in, in this way. Um, so here I am managing this, trying to go to all these different churches, struggling with this internal struggle. And um, um, this, so this is on the eastern shore of Maryland. Um, it's about an hour drive away is Rehoboth Beach, Delaware which is um, a lovely little town. It's growing crazy now, but um, very, very welcoming of gay people. And so I would go there and just sit on the beach by myself just to be around people that I felt like, these are people like me. Right. Um, and, and on one Sunday, I went to an MCC church, the Metropolitan Community oh, Church, right. which is like a gay like, welcoming right, church. Right, right. And, and about this time, this is the mid-90s, right. um, um, there's this thing called the Internet that's starting to develop. <laughs> and Isn't that funny how we look back on that as like, because I the same thing. I mean, we're the same age. Yeah. I remember the Internet developing. And you, you kind of start searching for things. Yeah. And I find gay Christian things, and and like, which is like an oxymoron, because I really believe you cannot be gay and a Christian. Huh. Like, the, like if you see a Venn, dry, Venn diagram, there's a circle on the right, there's a circle on the left. The two do not touch. Uh-huh. Um, and that was that was the mental image I always had about you can be gay or Christian, but you cannot be both. Huh. And so, but I was like, is that true? Um, I started finding these things online and reading articles and 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 found some books and um, started questioning and wondering and. Is what I'm hearing really true, and what is true? And um, um, I remember listening to Focus on the Family. Um, you know, we had it on every day, 
and three days a week, if not four, um, they were bashing gays. They were doing hate-mongering, fear-mongering, lies, innuendos. And and one day, Steve, it, it dawned on me, if God were trying to speak to me, he would not be using half-truths and lies and innuendo. Right. God would speak to me because God is truth. Right. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so I thought, what Dobson's doing is not of God. Right. It must be of some other spirit. It right. is not the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, I and feel so much the same way. I mean, my whole ministry has been involved with GLBTQI rights and mm. involvement. Thank you for that. And, um, and focus on the family was just an anathema. It was, it was, it was it's insidious. You know, and, and all this time, you know, I was trying to be the good guy, but questioning and, and trying to live up to the standard that didn't fit. And so now I'm, you know, 30 plus years old and trying to be a good Christian guy. And, um, um, and it's not jiving. And so um, I'm going to shorten the story again, but there was a night I was in my bedroom just wrestling, just praying, just crying out to God. I don't get it. I'm trying so hard. What is this? Why don't you take this away? Um, I, I should tell you, I did the whole ex-gay thing. That's a whole other part of the story where I tried to go for a year trying to be study how to be straight and oh go to classes every week. Oh, my gosh. Did, did you go to that voluntarily? Yeah. So, so, wow. yeah, so what happened there? This, is, this is, is kind of an important part of the story. Yeah. Um, I had a board member who mentioned that he'd heard of this guy preach at their church who led this ministry in Philadelphia um, to help people come out of being gay and leave the life of homosexuality. And he said, you should interview him. And I thought, oh, God, okay. Um, all right. I'm game. I, I, and there was the curiosity part of me wanted to know more. Uh-huh. So I did a phone interview with this guy, and I record this interview with him. And, um, and he tells me his story. And, um, and I stopped the tape at the end of it, and we saw, thank you very much. And at the end of it, I said, before I hung up, I said, do you have another minute for a couple of questions off the record? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this issue myself. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know what to do. I said, I, I, I want to be a good Christian guy. I can't give it to these feelings. I, you know, I'm not acting on them. I'm not active in any kind of gay lifestyle. I'm curious. I want to, but, I, you know. Um, um, and so he's talked, and he encouraged me to come to this class they were starting this was late in the summer, and it was like starting that fall, and it would be every Thursday night in Philadelphia. So from where I worked in Princess Anne, Maryland, to Philadelphia, it's like a three-hour drive. Oh, my um, gosh. And so every afternoon on Thursday, I would leave work a little early, and I would drive to Philadelphia. Oh, my god! Grab gosh. a cheesesteak sub uh, for dinner. Oh, my gosh. And then go to this class, and then at 9.30 at night, I'd get back in the car and drive three hours and get oh home at my midnight, one in the morning. Um, so the drive was really strong. Well, there was this drive to do the right thing the right and thing. find the truth. Right. That, I would say even more so to find the truth. Right. Because if this was, and one of the things I asked him when, when I first talked to him, this guy, is, um, so 
honestly. Now, you, he had come, come out of being gay. And I said— So he had come out of being yes, gay? Yes, yes. Oh. And so wow. I asked him. I said, I, I need to know the truth. I said, hypothetically, you're driving down the street— and on one side of the street, there's a guy shirtless mowing the lawn, and he's buff, and he's built, and he looks good. And on the other hand, there's a girl in a bikini sunbathing. Which one do you stare at? Which one do you notice? Which one do you look at twice? And he said, um, well, um, more, and, more and more, it's the woman. But, you know, he said, this is a journey. And so I thought, okay, well, okay, that's not the answer, uh-huh. you know. Uh-huh. So... Um, so I, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do this. So I, I did this whole class. I'm going every, every week. Um, it was a book, a video series with this guy who wrote the book and then moderated by the, the, the guy leading the discussion. And the guy who wrote the book um, 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 talked about um, he was now married, had four kids. You know, he was, this life changed. And at some point in there, he, he confided that he still struggled with pornography. Hmm. And I thought, if it were straight pornography, he would have said, he would have been explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, just to be very clear, mm-hmm. to not leave any doubt. Mm-hmm. But he left out. Hmm. And so if he's still struggling with gay pornography, he still wants that connection with other men. Oh, yeah. He yeah. still needs that intimacy. Yeah. And it's that yeah. drive is not leaving him. Yeah. No yeah. matter how much he can get the plumbing to work and make babies, right. he's right. still still right. wrestling. Right. And that's, right. that's I'm celibate. I'm doing the right thing. That's what I'm doing. That's not working. Right. This is not the way I want to live my life. Right. Um, right. Alone and trying, not, not feeling the connection. And how unfair is it for a gay guy to marry? Oh, no judgment on somebody. We all have our journeys. But I could not marry a woman that I would consider my best friend and not be the one who could love her and right. give her the intimacy and the connection that she deserves. Right. I knew that. Um, I, I almost got engaged a couple of times. I mean, I dated. I tried. Oh, my God. I mean, I tried. Um, I, I did all the right things. Um, and, and what I found is it's BS. Yeah. You know, and so back to that night, I was back in my room wrestling, praying, God, where are you? I can't know what to do. Make me to be the man you've called me to be. And I'll cry saying this, but in my heart, it was not an audible voice, but in my gut, I heard God answer me. Jim, that's exactly what I'm doing. Wow. Wow. And in that moment, I knew that he called me. Yeah. wants me to be a gay man. That's who wow. he made me to be. Yeah. And if that makes me more compassionate, if that makes me more empathetic, if wow. that makes me more human and more relatable to people, yeah. then praise God for the gift of being gay. Yeah. Um, oh, amen. And, I so believe that. And and so, I mean, I just bawled and bawled with relief. Yeah. It's been this life journey. Yeah. yeah. God loves me for who I am. Yeah. He loves you for who you are. Right. Um, I can't say that enough. That's and pretty powerful stuff. It is. That's really powerful. It is. To come to that sense of realization that who you are is it's exactly kind of what you said. is who God created you to be. You are a child of God yeah. just the way you are. And God has created you for this. 
has made you for this. This is part of God's journey for you. If you want to use the term plan, God's plan for your life, the plans, the dreams that God has for your life, is to be a gay man in a Christian society. How did that work? Did you feel like you had to leave Christianity to be a gay man? Well, I felt like I had to leave that version of Christianity. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I started at that point looking for other jobs and realizing I needed Oh, to, you felt like you had to leave the radio station. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I knew that, you know, it took me years to, to make this change. And I continued to study, continued to read, continued uh-huh. to find books that talked about, you know, what it means to be gay and a Christian. What does the Bible really say about being gay and a Christian? Mm-hmm. Um, and finding out how much the Bible has been so misused oh, yeah. in this regard. Oh, yeah. um, let me tell you, if you think the Bible tells you not to be gay, I would love to visit. I could talk about any of the scriptures you've been, talk, you've been taught. It's not what it says. If you read what it says, it's not what it says. Yeah. Um, they take these little snippets. And if you look in the context, you look at everything that's right. going on, that's not what it's talking about. Seven verses. There are seven verses that people use to destroy and condemn and damn anybody GLBTQI+. And, I mean, and it's horrific. It's, it's wrong. It's, it's sin. That is sin. That is sin. It, I would um, agree. To, to, to say to somebody, you're not loved by God. And, oh, my gosh, I don't know how we're doing on time. We don't have time to talk about it. But I would love to tell you about um, the time I got arrested for standing up for um, for gay rights and about the time. Wait, I, you, wait. I just I, missed it. I, you I, said you were arrested oh, for yeah. standing up for gay rights? Yes. <gasps> While Jim. I was still managing the Christian radio station. I am so impressed. You so, were arrested? For, so there's a story. How, how we? Okay. Well, so here's the story. Um, so... Um, I had, uh, because of the miracle of the internet, I met this guy in Oklahoma City. I'm still living in Maryland, and I'd gone to visit him. Um, we ended up driving up to Tulsa for Pride and meeting somebody that had become a, something of a hero to me, Mel White. Mel had been a ghostwriter for Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, oh Billy Graham, before Mel came out of the closet. Oh, my gosh. And he had been married, had two kids. Um, and so after he came out, he started an organization called Soul Force. And their whole thing was to go to, I, they still exist, they're still a wonderful organization, um, but go to these places where this, this crazy anti-gay rhetoric was being preached in Jesus' name and say, no, we are your organists, your Sunday school teachers, your, yeah. your choir members, in some cases your pastors. Right. Um, and right. and right. no, this is not okay. And they would do silent protest in the spirit of Gandhi or Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and they would just stand and have signs and protests and sing and pray um, and just, just be peaceful. And then if they got arrested and carted away, they would just not resist and they would just follow and do what what you know needed to be done uh, to just call attention to these these issues and so um, I saw Mel White speak at this thing in in Tulsa and he looked at me and he said you need to come get arrested with us <laughs> a calling to ministry and right so um, um, like they were going the next week and and I had taken enough time off I could do that and so um, I went to Orlando and and 
did their little study of how to do oh this gosh. and how what our values and how do we live this out and um, and then uh, it was the Southern Baptist Convention was having their annual meeting in uh, in the Orange County Convention Center there and so a group of thirty or so of us um, had our signs and T-shirts and stood outside and prayed and and knelt on the ground and just 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 tried to be a, a a quiet witness there on the sidewalk outside the convention center. Um, the story gets a little funny because um, there was a group of, of people from PETA, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, oh. also protesting Southern Baptists for whatever reason. <laughs> um, and so there was one guy dressed as Jesus with their group, and there was huh. another guy dressed as a chicken as their group. <laughs> and, and so... Um, the police came and said, this is an unlawful assembly and you need to disperse. Well, of course we didn't, and so they arrested us. And so they put the plastic handcuffs on us. Well, the PETA people also get started getting arrested with us as well. And so I'm picturing, here I am, manager of this radio station, and there's people in the press, and there's photographers around, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, my picture's gonna be on the front page of some national paper tomorrow. And and while I'm worrying about this, they're putting us in the bus, the paddy wagon, and um, um, they put in Jesus, and then they put in Jim, <laughs> and then they put in the chicken. So here I am sandwiched <laughs> between these two. And I'm, this is the picture that's going to be, you know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um, that never happened. That picture never got published. I don't know what happened. Um, and, I, and so I, we went to jail. Um, um, we were in a little holding cell, and I love telling this story. Um, we were there. Um, two Methodist pastors were part of our group, Jim Lawson and Phil Lawson. They're both brothers, uh-huh. both African-American, beautiful men who had, who had marched with Dr. King, had been leaders with Dr. Wow. King. And we're now lending their voice and their experience to, to this cause. And I just so appreciated them. And so I'm in this little holding cell with about a half dozen of us. And there's several of us from our group. But there's one guy um, who had been arrested um, for car theft, um, an African-American guy. And uh, so in the, while we're waiting, why are you here? Why are you here? Well, he starts hearing about all these people fighting for justice and these people who had been fighting for his rights. And here he was making bad decisions about stealing cars. And I was like, I love that image of like, here are people working together and changing lives even right here and having this right. conversation of there's right. a better path to make the world a better place. Right. Um, I just love that image and that, that experience. Um, now, funny thing, I'm deviating from the story, but I was also arrested. Ah. And a completely different thing. I'm not going to go down. People okay. can listen to an earlier episode. Same thing happened when I was in the holding cell. People ask, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And before you knew it, I'm ministering to people yeah. right there in the middle of the whole yes. cell. Yeah. Yes, yes. So it's, I mean, I, I love that. I mean, it's like you can be a light anywhere. Right. Um, um, you know, we got it released and everything was expunged and there's no record and all that kind of stuff. And um, um, But I was, I was really proud to be able to do that. So fast forward now. This is really relevant. Um, um, so this is – that was happened in 2000, um, February 2001 – I go to the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. I'm on the board of the NRB. Um, and on Saturday morning, before the convention starts, the board president taps me on the shoulder and says, could you come to my suite after this meeting? Um, the chair of the board and I would like to have a conversation with you. 
My first thought was, oh, no, they're going to try and recruit me for some other job. And here I am trying to find jobs out of Christian radio, and they're right. going to recruit me for something. But I had to respect them enough to, to go to this meeting. So I go up there. And um, so this is now eight months later, six months later, whatever it is. And um, they're kind of serious. And they say, um, Jim, when people told us this happened, we, we didn't believe it. But then they showed us the video of you participating in some gay demonstration. Huh. Did that really happen? Huh. And I was like, oh. And so I had enough relationship with these two gentlemen to say yes. And, and I looked them in the eye and I said to them, we as Christian broadcasters have blood on our hands. Wow. I said, we tell gay That's people. That's profound. You have to change. You have to be somebody that you can't be yeah. so that God accepts you. And no matter how hard they try, it doesn't work. And so what else do they have but drug abuse, alcohol abuse, wow. self-destructive behaviors? That's on us. Wow. We're doing that to them. We're wow. not giving them hope. We're, we're promising the hope to everyone. We're saying, come whoever, except you. You've got to change. You've got to be something different than who you wow. are to be acceptable to God. I said, that's, that's blasphemy, and we have blood on our hands. And I was, I was not angry, but I was firm. Yeah. Um, and, wow. and they listened, and they asked really good questions. Huh. And they were like, they wanted to understand. I had enough relationship with them that they knew I was not not some fly-by-night. Right. They knew I was one of them. Right. And, and so um, I remember the, the chair of the board asked me, um, he said, well, can't you just live with a, a, somebody and just be best friends and, and not sleep together? I said, well, could you and your wife do that and not have, share all your hopes, your dreams, your passion, your life, your plans, and not express that intimately? Could, right. could you do that? Oh, well, no. Um, wow. and, and so it was like this really healthy conversation. And here, to their credit, I, I think this is the most amazing, most beautiful thing in the world. I knew that I had been named to receive an award that week for the uh -huh. radio station of the year from oh, the wow. National Religious Broadcasters wow. at the convention. Wow. So this was all happening Saturday morning. When Tuesday came... They called our station and called my name forward, and they presented me with the, the awards wow. for the radio station of the year. So while it was not public, these two leaders in the huh. NRB presented the radio station of the year award to an openly gay man. Wow. Um, that's, that's profound. Boom, blows that's my mind. That's profound. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, there's a whole lot about that, that did come out of that that, not directly, but um, the follow that that is, is shameful about the NRB that I think they still have blood on their hands because they still continue to do the things they do. Um, and so, you know, um, that's a profound term because uh, I think a lot of Christ Christendom, Christianity has blood on its hands. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, my work, I, my best friend in high school was gay. Uh, when I was in uh, college, I had a lot of gay friends and I saw what Christianity did to these people. And that just because I was straight and had a girlfriend that I then married, that I had a completely different experience within Christendom that my gay friends weren't having, that they're being rejected, turned away. And then I saw that in the ministry, it was like, I thought, I love that term. We have blood on our hands. We do. Mm -hmm. For 
thousands of years we have blood on our hands. Oh, my gosh. Hands. Yes. I mean, go back to the Crusades. Go back to, right. how, you know, yes. We have blood on Earliest our Earliest days of Christianity. That's a great yes. insight. Yes. So how does this all play out in your adult life? So long story short, I, I found a job outside of Christian radio and um, – have been doing that now for 20 years. I, I um, landed here in Denver um, 15, 16 years ago. Um, and um, um, when, when, I, when I left Christian Radio, I found the Episcopal Church. Oh. Um, um, I was moving into my new apartment uh, in a new city. Uh, I was actually in, I say it was in Boise. And uh, my new boss, I said, you know, I, Where's a church that I won't feel clobbered for being gay? And he said, I heard, heard the Episcopal Church is affirming. And so I went there the next day, and um, I'm sitting there in church, and I meet this tall, dark, handsome guy, and he and I start talking. And a year later, we bought a house together, and wow. we were married until this past year. We were just divorced. Wow. Um, but I suddenly ha- found my, I went from being manager of Christian radio station to being in this gay relationship. Um, that lasted 20 years. And, and you're in church. And, and in church, in an Episcopal church that welcomed us yeah. and loved us uh, and blessed us. That's the beautiful thing us. about the Episcopal church. You know, they, at that time, they weren't quite yet ready to do gay marriage. They do that now. Right. Um, but so we did a, a different denomination, UCC, that welcomed us to have our right. a gay wedding. Um, and then we got the legal wedding when that became legal. And then finally, thing, the relationship fell apart. But... Um, um, but yeah, so being in a community that welcomed us as a couple, welcomed us as gay men, that was a real gift. Oh, that's huge. Big gift. I think, you know, the, um, the UCC was really on the frontier of all things LGBTQI+. And then other denominations. Then there was the Episcopalians and the huge split the Episcopalians went to, which for me was prophetic that they were willing to, to take the prophetic stand and say, look, this is who we are. If you don't like us, there's the door. We're going to stay with who we are, do what we feel called to do. And if that means we die as a denomination, so be it. And they ended up thriving as a denomination as they became the sense of who they were. And then other denominations like the Presbyterians came by beyond that or behind that. And like the United Methodists, I just interviewed uh, my district superintendent, and she was talking about the uh, the split within the United Methodist Church around uh, the whole GLBTQI+. Plus. It's happening as we speak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So how does it affect your faith now? You're 63. 61, um, but yeah. 61. I'm sorry, I'm 63. Yeah, yeah. You're 63. We're close. <laughs> Don't push it. Don't push it. <laughs> How does it affect your life and faith now? You know, I think one of the things that's been interesting is after the pandemic, um, I didn't go back to church. Um, and one of the things that happened, um, I, I began to question a lot of things about why I was in church and uh-huh. what church was doing for me. A lot of lovely people. I love the people in my church. Uh-huh. Um, um, just, just, yeah, wonderful people. But to what end? Um, and I look at the volumes of money that I was giving to church uh-huh. and what was happening with that money. And uh-huh. it was paying for a beautiful building uh-huh. and salaries and an institution uh-huh. that I just was like, why is this? Right. This, this is not, this is, 
this is so irrelevant. Right. You know, there's a world out there, and this was 2020, so there's a pandemic happening, and there are people hurting, and there are parents trying to do their job, have their kids online in school, and balance everything with right. bad internet connection and all right. the injustices of that. And then there was the George Floyd murder, and then the right. racial injustice, and the reckoning that we've still are, need to keep working on. Right. Um, and and I was just like, church just feels so disconnected from the real world. Yeah, and yeah, it really can feel that way. And, and it, it, you know, the sermons that I was hearing weren't addressing those issues. Um, they were such, pardon me, no offense, but pablum. Um, <laughs> um, they, were, they were the same. No, no, <clears throat> no offense taken because I've been there, done that. Well, and I, I mean, you know, anyway. Um, yeah, I think I think there. I heard a story recently um, about a pastor who left the building and moved his congregation to like an urban garden, and they meet and they do gardening and they they provide food for the needy and they have a short little message um, that helps them learn and grow as as believers. I love that image. Uh huh. That's um, great. That's um, a great image. Um, and so I, I there's. I, in my view right now, I'm just not in a place where church feels like it's uh-huh. something I want to be a part of. Um, um, I volunteer and work with a, a local food organization that provides food for the for the people who need it. And, and um, um, yeah, I just I would rather focus on those kinds of things than 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 just, you know, do you believe the right theology? Um, right. And that's so much of what I was getting in church. Now, I will say this. Um, I learned a lot um, that actually helped me grow beyond needing. Um, that actually helped me grow beyond needing the church. Right. Um, do you consider consider yourself a Christian? I do. I I, I came to a place, and this is probably a bit of a, a coming out more so than being gay. Um, um, I I have to, for folks who ask me very point blankly, and I actually had a uh, a friend ask me this a couple weeks ago. Do you believe in the virgin birth? Do you believe in a literal resurrection? And I looked at her and I said, no. Yeah. Um, and, right. and I agree. And, and I had to come to a place to believe my faith is bigger than needing to believe those things. Right. Um, God is bigger than needing to believe right. those things. You know, there were 10 or so different stories in the, in the time of Christ of, of, of a Savior who was born of a virgin who died and rose again. Um, that was a very common theme among stories of heroes and right. things at the time. Um, I don't think that's true of all 10 of them that literally happened, and I don't think it necessarily literally had to be true of Jesus. Doesn't negate that God came and dwells among us, lives in us, that we have his spirit in us, empowering us to live and love others and change the world and make the world a more loving, connected, compassionate place, be responsible for our environment, be responsible for those who are hurting, be responsible for one another because we are called to be connected and love one another even as he has loved us. And if we don't do that, we're not Christians. I don't care what label you put on yourself. I can call myself a Christian because it gives me a good framework to believe in a God who loves us. Uh That doesn't mean that my way is the only way. Uh-huh. If you're a Muslim, if you're a Sikh, if you're Jewish, if you're whatever, if you're an atheist, if you connect to something bigger than yourself with a goal of, of loving that thing that's bigger than you, the creation, God, whatever you call it, and loving your neighbor as yourself, 
you're my brother. Right. We're in this together. Right. That's, that's the grace of God coming and being among us as human beings and helping us change the world and love each other where we are. And if we're not doing that, don't don't tell me how about good a Christian you are. That you don't talk to me Christian. about virgin birth. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right. exactly. And the literal res- people get so wrapped around the axle about those theological doctrines that in the end mean nothing. Right. They mean nothing. If they you if you nothing. walk away from hearing this with one thing, whatever you call God, loves you, and wants you to make a difference in the world. Believe that. That's 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 everything right there. Hey, we need to uh, wind, wind our time up, but there's just a couple of things that I want to ask you to say. Or what would you say to people, men and women, who are wrestling with uh, coming out of the closet and their Christian faith? Um, what would you say to like? What would you say to a young person who is Maybe an adolescent. We have many high school kids here at the church who are, who are transgender. They're dealing with gender identities, gender issues. What would you say to a high school kid and, and who are trying to figure themselves out and being a Christian? What would you say to them? You know, I would, I would say, first of all, don't forget, God loves you right. for who you are right, right. now. Right. Um, and um, if you feel strongly that you are not living your truth, Find the people who are living your truth. Right. Find a circle of support that, that empowers you, that you identify with, that, that you connect with, who are like you. You are not alone. You cannot do this alone. We are not meant to be alone. We are meant right. to be in community. So find a community of people who are like you, whether you're gay, trans, whatever that is. Find people who are like you and find that support. Um, um, realizing that you're loved by God. Right. And bring that to that group. And if you find others who bring that, bring God's love into that group, receive that and share that. Um, but love yourself for who you are. Surround yourself with people who love you for who you are and welcome you for who you are. And then expand that circle to those who will, who will embrace all of that. You know, so you start with these people who are like me, and then you find people who may not be like me, but maybe allies, maybe right. advocates, maybe supporters. Find that circle and, and then live into your truth. Um, it takes so much courage. Here's the thing. I've seen three ways people come out of the closet. Some are forced out. Um, right. Somebody exposes them. Right. That never goes well. No. It's traumatic. It's painful. Right. It's destructive. It's terrible. Um, I've seen people get so excited about coming out of the closet, they don't have that support system, and they jump out and they say, here I am, I'm gay, I'm trans, I'm this new... Th-. And people are shocked. They have no support system. So all these loved ones that they counted on to be there don't know what to do because they're surprised. Right. Even if they wanted to be supportive, they don't even know how to because they haven't even thought about it. And so you've got no support system to help navigate that transition. So the, what I did, and I, I really encourage, find that support system, find that base, of, and then grow that so then you can have more comfort in coming out and finding that so that as people here, if they accept you, wonderful. If they don't, it's not the end of the world. You've got a support system. You're not alone. Don't that's do this alone. That's great advice. I, don't, I think that's great advice for people, anybody of any age. You know, high school, adult, 
Um, I think that is sage advice, sage advice. And, you know, the, the thing that I'm going to take away from this is, a, um, is an ongoing commitment to GLBTQI plus rights as a, as a citizen of the United States, but more importantly, their place in the kingdom of God and, and who they are as children of God and that they have a right place, a good place. A, uh, and it's one of the things that Columbine that I believe so strongly we have um, folks, gay folks who are uh, on our leadership board. They teach Sunday school. They're, I mean, I believe in such a prophetic voice from the GLTQ plus community. Hey, this has been profound. Thank you. This thank has been you for really me. This, this has fun. been really great. I'm honored. So thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, you can catch my blog, also Cowboy Jesus, published usually on Friday. Thank you. You know, it, I would really hope that you would take a moment and share this podcast with some of your friends because this has been um, a holy moment. This has been a sacred conversation that I think a lot of people need to hear. So please try to share this with folks. Take care. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye.